Hi, I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about why leftists side with America's enemies, leftists versus patriots on the question of Iran, and saying no to more refugees. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Well, folks, you likely know that in Washington today, we have a um, plan, I guess, according to Nancy Pelosi, very soon, we're going to have a meeting with her. Uh, the, the Democratic caucus in the House and I'm probably going to send over the articles of impeachment later in this week. But what I want to talk about today in the first five, because I'm so tired of impeachment, is to really talk about on this deep dive Monday, a deeper question about what it is that happens, how we end up in Washington with two such strongly varying viewpoints about things like the American military's decision to kill Soleimani, the Iranian general murderous blood on his hands of hundreds of American soldiers who died. And in addition to the hundreds who died, you know, many, many more maimed, wounded, just American soldiers, not to mention his backing of the his own government, the Iranian government's killing of its own citizens, supporting that action in other countries and generally having just just inflicted mayhem on the world since at least 9-11. And this is the person that the American left is so upset about the idea that the American military decided to end General Soleimani's life. I will tell you, as an example of why I say the left is upset, there was actually talk of Adam Schiff, the Democrat member of the U.S. House in California, who pretty much led the first hearing about the impeachment of President Trump. He asked, he is calling for hearings in the House to talk about the decision by America to take out Soleimani. What I want to talk about on the first five is this. Why is it that the American left, leftists in this country, are so regularly siding with America's enemies? They defend Iran. They defend Soleimani. They question the legitimacy of taking out a guy who has killed American soldiers and whose life story is one of murder, mayhem, evil, just almost unspeakable level evil, and yet we're having Pelosi's of the world and other leftists in Washington arguing to the American public that maybe we shouldn't have done this, this was a bad thing. One of the primary differences between the Republican and the Democrat party, or and I like to say parties, the left-wing worldview and the American worldview is this. The problem the American left has is they simply have lost the ability to say out loud, to express as a basis for their reasoning that the idea of good versus evil exists. They cannot label anything evil. They treat so many issues as though it's not good versus evil or right versus wrong. It's, well, it's a competing parties, competing interests. You know, maybe one point we like this character, but now we like this character, this country. They've lost that core discernment or at least the willingness to say out loud in the American political conversation, the discernment of the idea that good and evil exist. This is not a new thing with the American left. When Ronald Reagan was talking tough, we decided we just simply had to stand up against Russia. And he actually gave the famous speech about tear down this wall. 
you had leftists wringing their hands uh, in just you know, fear and outrage and upset the idea. Who are you to say that they're evil? You can't say something's evil. You can't you can't call uh, the communist government evil just because they repress their people and shoot and kill them if they try to leave their country. Who are you to say that? This idea of the American left's failure, it's either that they don't discern good and e- evil, which I think is a problem, or they do know that good and evil exists, but it's, they're somehow too intellectual, too superior, too uh, elevating the idea of secularism and uh, intellectualism as the most important qualities and leadership in this country, that they will spend time arguing about whether or not it was a good idea for America to take out Soleimani. Nancy Pelosi, House Speaker, continues in making remarks about how it is very, very questionable whether President Trump should have authorized taking out Soleimani. But you have the American left's inability to admit and say good and evil exist. They couldn't do it with Ronald Reagan back at that in that era of time when we were standing up and, and saying, tear down this wall in the 80s. They couldn't do it in Venezuela when we had the uh, communists, I mean, socialists take over in Venezuela, very near communists, but socialists take over in Venezuela. They criticized any, anyone who challenged or questioned the repressive conduct of Hugo Chavez and later Maduro, uh, validating their idea that socialism is a great idea and Chavez is nationalizing industries and taking more and more control, taking freedom away from his people. The American the leftist mindset cannot agree there's anything wrong with that. They can't agree that evil exists. They can't agree some things are evil. So they couldn't do it with Reagan. They couldn't do it in Venezuela. And they can't do it today with Iran. If you're a regular listener to the show, you know we've talked many, many times about the country of Iran and the fact that when the Iranian revolution happened in 1979, the Shah was overthrown, that the Iranian mullahs put into place a constitution, the very constitution of the country of Iran, calls for mandates the country and the people of Iran to commit jihad for the purpose of ultimately inflicting Islam on the world. If you can't see that and recognize it as evil, you really have no place anywhere in the United States government. But this is where we are. We have the Democrats in this country, the radical left in this country. And to be clear, the radical leftists have taken over the Democrat Party. It's not like there's a there's a uh, you know moderate wing of the Democrat Party that dominates. The radical leftist wing of that party dominates that party, and you have them therefore unable to acknowledge that good and evil exists, unable to condemn the Iranian regime, a regime committed to forcing its citizens to commit jihad, a regime committed to using the money that is sent to them by Obama and America to fund the proxies that went around the world, killing, killing American soldiers and others. So there was a, 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 um, here, a, a statement in the, the U.S. House I wanted to share with you in just a moment. Um, this is one of the clips I sent to Matt, the extremely wonderful producer, uh, whom I really appreciate. To be really clear, if you're watching a show for the first time, this is not my real studio. Uh, we are on vacation or we're out in, in visiting in California, visiting family. This is the West Coast headquarters of America Can We Talk. It's really just a uh, just a fabulous thing. I'm very grateful to have Real News PR Matt Stoker, my producer, being willing to broadcast a show and, and do this show, uh, allow me to continue doing it while we're uh, traveling, do it remotely. So I want to turn to Matt the Wonderful and ask him to play a clip. This is a member of Congress, Representative Brian Mast, who lost both of his legs 
to an IED, which is the kind of thing that Suleimani was known for, that he, this is a person harmed by Suleimani's evil responding to the Democrat denouncement in the U.S. House of the killing of Suleimani. This is Representative Brian Mast. Make no mistake, Madam Speaker, this resolution is about the killing of Soleimani. He was a terrorist, no different than al-Baghdadi, than Zelkari, than bin Laden, than Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. He was the head of a designated terrorist organization, no different than ISIS or al-Qaeda. And he was responsible for the deaths of our men and women. And I know most in here haven't seen or smelled or touched that kind of death, but let me tell you about it. They were burned alive inside of their Humvees. Their lungs were scorched by the flames of the explosion. The fra vehicle fragments were blown into their skulls. Some of them were paralyzed. Some of them had their arms blown off. Some of them had their legs blown off. Some of them will never see again. Some of them will never be recognized again by those who knew them previously. Each and every one of them, they are the credible explanation for deleting this terrorist target from our world. And no doubt, it is dangerous to take out a terrorist target. But a coward is somebody who lacks the courage to endure danger. And this is the fundamental difference in voting yes or no here. If you vote no, you understand that we would be justified to kill 100 Suleimanis for just one of our heroes that have been being killed by him, and the danger would be worth it. For those who vote yes, they see that he has killed hundreds of our service members, but can still not find the justification to kill him because unlike our fallen heroes, they lack the courage to endure danger. I yield back. God bless that man. Representative Mass lost both his legs in Afghanistan serving in our military. And this is at the hearing in the U.S. House deciding the Iranian resolution to, you know, the supposed war powers resolution to limit President Trump uh, in his actions against Iran, which has no actual legal basis, power, or ability to do anything. It accomplishes exactly zero. Nothing, nada. And the Democrats know this. To Democrats, they're virtue signaling to their base by passing this resolution, which has no impact at all, but they think they're sending a signal to the base, don't worry, we're going to punish that bad guy. Folks, I have to tell you, this, is, this matters in this year 2020. The 2020 elections, you have one of the two main parties in our country, in Washington, who can not understand the evil represented by Soleimani, cannot understand the evil represented by the country of Iran, not by the people, but by their government. And because they have no discernment, no understanding, no capacity to recognize good and evil, to recognize the difference in a country like America, founded on Judeo-Christian values, standing up for the rights and freedom of the individual, Found on the idea that we have rights from God because we were born and that we have a right to live in freedom and that we sometimes help other countries move toward that and to throw off oppressors. They can't understand the difference between America's military and the Iranian regime, which happily endorses, funds, supports, and encourages its own military to kill innocent people. And they can't tell which is the better one to follow. I'm telling you, folks, it's a dangerous, dangerous time in this country that we have Iran on the loose, other extremist Islamic countries in this world, and one of the two political parties in Washington hat is morally dead, can not discern good and evil, cannot figure out that the idea of standing by America is the only way to stop people like Soleimani. And that, my friends, is today's first five. 
I want to continue talking about Iran, though, today. You know, it was a it's Iran is in the news for a lot of reasons. And if you missed my show earlier in this week, I had a guest joining me named Claire Lopez. She was Center for Security Policy. She uh, is a true uh, national expert on the, the religion of Islam, uh, uh, and especially on Iran. She's a former CIA operative. She is a. Uh, regularly touted as an expert in Congress all over the place. I mean, talks at all and has taught at high-level institutions about the dangers of Iran. She came on the show a few days, last week, and described all of the evil committed by Soleimani that we know about. If she knows this, the Democrat members of Congress know this, or they should know this. And if they don't know this, they don't understand the problem, and they are just virtue signaling to their base that they are going to be so proud to have tried to rein in the president and his conduct in dealing with Iran because he killed a man as evil as Soleimani. But I want to turn to this idea about leftists versus patriots on Iran. This really shouldn't be a Democrat versus Republican. It shouldn't be conservative versus liberal. But it is that. I'm sorry to report. It's sad and it's dangerous, but it is that. I want to talk a little bit about what's happening in Iran. As you've heard my show many times before, the people of Iran, the Persian people, the Persian people, long, ancient, noble history, are in the streets regularly and have been, literally, it's been over two years, ongoing, rolling protests in major cities around Iran. They want to get rid of their government. They deplore the Islamic regime. They deplore the mullahs. They do not want to be ruled by Sharia. They do not want to live under the Iranian constitution, but they have no power. But they are in the streets, they are protesting. And we, in the past, we had other times there were protests really growing and President Obama had a chance to back the protesters, at least to take the public position on the public stage at the UN, at the White House somewhere to say, we stand with the protesters. We do not think the people of Iran should have to live under the oppressive regime of the Islamic mullahs, the, the jihadist mullahs. We, we support the freedom movement of the Iranian people. But President Obama could not do that. Could, not only could he not do that, he went out of his way to embolden, to fund, to aid, and to help the Iranian mullahs. And the left in this country went right along with him. Which leads me to two clips I wanted to have the very wonderful Matt play for us in this segment. Uh, one was Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, was interviewed uh, where she was talking with, uh, I think Papadopoulos, over here she was talking, yeah, Papadopoulos, um, about how she would react to the Iranian protesters. What does she think about this fact that the Iranian protesters are in the street? Listen to her moral confusion and ignorance, and then we'll talk about how President Trump handled this. But here's Nancy Pelosi talking to Stephanopoulos about the Iranian protesters. The question is how we get there. We're seeing now demonstrations in the streets of Iran against the regime. Do you support those protesters and would it be a good thing if they brought the regime down? Well, the regime, the protesters are, are protesting, as I understand it, this brand of protesters about the fact that that plane went down and many students uh, were on that plane, and these are largely students in the street. I think the Iranians should have not had commercial flights going off when there they're was. They're calling out the regime for lying. They're saying death to Khamenei as well. No, well, whatever it is. But the fact is this: the, the there were protesters in the streets before against the regime, 
after the taking out of Soleimani, there were protesters in the street joined together, as you know, against us. That wasn't good. Taking down this plane is a terrible, terrible tragedy. And they should be held accountable for letting commercial flights go at a time that was so, so dangerous. Uh, but there are different reasons why uh, people are in the street. Uh, of course, we would love to see uh, the aspirations of the people of Iran uh, realized uh, with a better situation there. But escalating uh, the situation, unless we've exhausted every other remedy. Which we haven't? Well, we don't know that. Uh, we don't know that. And, and if the first, uh, uh, first action to be taken on the threat of... Uh, uh, there, there are a lot of bad actors who are doing bad things and threatening bad things to us. We know that, Iran being one of them, and it being a, uh, its proxies uh, doing bad things to our, our interests throughout the world. But how do we deal with that in a way that calms rather than escalates? I want to ask you a question. Okay, I'm telling you folks, she is very troublesome. It's a very troubling clip you just heard. This is the alleged leader of the House Dem. I mean, it is the leader of the House Democrats is one of the key leaders of the Democrat Party in this entire country. She, first of all, was unclear about, so let me correct something she said. She tried to claim the protesters were in the street lamenting the death of Soleimani. As we talked about in the show, and as you, if you look back on our website, you can find uh, the links to stories about this. Iranian journalists were reporting that the protests in the street were not supporting Soleimani. The Iranian government was trying to force people, arm-twisting people, closing schools, closing businesses, demanding the people pour out into the streets and protest the death of Soleimani. It was an orchestrated effort by the Iranian regime to pretend to the world that the Iranian people were upset about Soleimani's death, which they were not. Most of the people were in the street and they were not chanting, oh, we love Soleimani, it's sure sad about him. They're chanting against the mullahs. They don't want to live under the kind of regime that would send Soleimani around the world killing people. They actually don't like it. And so she can't, she, Nancy Pelosi, cannot be honest about the situation in Iran. She cannot acknowledge that these protests were in the, and the people in the streets who were protesting about Soleimani were arm twisted by the government, threatened with, not arm twisted, not even bribed, threatened with death, threatened with jail. They go, okay, okay, we'll go out in the streets, fine, we'll go protest. She's, she cannot be honest about the situation. She cannot say, yes, the Iranian people are repressed. They hate the mullahs. They hate the Iranian regime. They want freedom. They want, they want to get out from under the control of this Islamic jihadist regime. She can't tell the truth. She also, she was asked about what other remedies would be. It's not like, it's not like no one ever did anything to Iran to try to bring about what some sort of order, some sort of protection, some sort of help for the people. We've had sanctions on Iran. The world agreed to those. But then Barack Hussein Obama came along as president of the United States, and he negotiated the Iranian deal. The Iranian deal presumed the legitimacy of the Islamic regime, treated the Islamic regime as though it was worthy of being treated as an actual adult responsible country, an actual leadership of a sovereign nation, treated the Islamic regime of Iran as though they ought to be 
they uh, trusted to come to the negotiating table to work out a deal, came up with the Iranian deal, which as we talked about in the show, I don't even know how many times, the Iranian deal enabled, enabled the Iranian government to develop nuclear weapons. Farce for the Iranian regime. It was a farce for the Obama administration to try to claim that the Iranian deal somehow made the world safer because it tried to limit the Iranian development of nuclear weapons. The Iranian deal enabled the development of nuclear weapons because within the Iranian deal, many reasons, but one big one, within the Iranian deal were there were inspections established saying that, you know, if you want to say you're not developing weapons, then you have to let inspectors come onto your country and they're going to come and check out what you're developing, what you're working on. But the deal itself carved out all of the logical places Iran would be developing nuclear weapons, carved those out as off limits to the inspectors. Kind of like the analogy I made many times in this show, kind of like saying that the police coming to search your home, but for the murder weapon, but you've carved out in the search warrant, but you can't look in my gun closet and you can't look in my attic. And the police go, okay, sure. Well, we'll look in the place they let us look. Hey, we didn't find the gun. It was an absurd deal. Unconstitutional also because President Obama never brought that deal, the Iranian deal, through the Senate as required, is required by our Constitution because he knew full well the, Demo- the even Democrats, some of them weren't going to support it. The Republicans for sure were not going to support it because they can all see Iran is a dangerous nation. We do not make deals with them. On top of that, we shipped millions, in fact, B billions of dollars in various forms to the Iranian regime which then enabled them to continue funding their reign of terror throughout the Middle East. So all of what I just said was captured very well by another member of Congress, Representative Dan Crenshaw from the great state of Texas, uh, made us uh, in an interview, I want to have Matt, the very wonderful play, Dan Crenshaw, explaining why the Democrats continue uh, to defend the Iranian deal. And as you'll see in this clip we go to in just a moment here, um, there was at the beginning of the clip, they have Susan Rice, Uh, And she is claiming, she's actually looking at the camera and claiming to the American people that everything was hunky-dory with Iran. Everything was great with Iran under the Iranian deal until Trump came along and ruined it all. I mean, she tells lie after lie after lie in just a very short segment. So you have first Susan Rice, and then you'll have the great Representative Dan Crenshaw setting the record straight. Please play that clip, Matt. In the years since the signing of the deal in 2015, up until President Trump's unilateral withdrawal, abandoning our allies against the advice of his advisors, there were no proxy attacks by Iranian proxies on U.S. personnel in Iraq. There were no efforts by Iran to attack our drones in the Persian Gulf or attack shipping. The nuclear program was under control. There were strict uh, verification and inspections. Well, they're obsessed with, with, with defending their strategy of appeasement, right? They, wanted to, they thought that the best way to deal with Iran was to pay them off, uh, send over pallets full of cash, unfreeze their assets, lift sanctions, and then hope for change, right? Remember President Obama's uh, 
uh, theme was hope and change, and that was their foreign policy as well. It didn't work, and it, it's time to accept that, because what, what actually happened was the Iranians were enriched and therefore able to fund their Quds force more and, and destabilize the region, uh, destabilize Syria, Yemen, put, uh, fund sleeper cells in Bahrain, fund Shia militias in Iraq. Uh, you, you played a clip of Susan Rice saying that there was no attack from proxies on American forces. Is she forgetting about the over 600 deaths of American soldiers that were a result of Iranian-made IEDs? I mean, to, to say that this all started after Trump, and that this is another misconception that the Democrats like to peddle, which is that history began with Donald Trump. History began with the killing of Soleimani. It did not begin with the killing of Soleimani. It began long before that, since 1979, actually. Since, mm -hmm. the, you know, right as the, the Iran deal was being signed, they were humiliating our U.S. Navy sailors and boarding U.S. Navy vessels in the, in the Gulf. Okay, they were, they were, and, and since then they've bombed oil tankers, bombed Saudi oil facilities, bombed our bases, and then attacked our embassy, and, and of course killed an American citizen. To, to say that they weren't the ones escalating out of desperation is, is to deny facts. Deny reality. Okay, that was Representative Jan Crenshaw, who also was severely injured uh, fighting for America, uh, lost an eye, that's why he wears an eye patch. But the point of this segment is this. I said at the start of the show, I wanted to call this segment, it was called like leftists versus patriots on Iran. It's really important to understand this because leftists cannot perceive the difference between good and evil because the leftists have, have elevated secularism and intellectualism and their godlessness as the highest source of their, their assessment, their understanding of the world, their read of the world, their appreciation or insights into events. They simply cannot understand that evil exists. The only evil that exists in the minds of most of the leftists in Washington is, in their worldview, is Trump. Is how can we get rid of Trump? What are we going to do to get rid of Trump? Can we get rid of him somehow? This is what the leftists think of as evil. So you have a regime like Iran, who's been at war with America for 40 years, since 1979, since the founding of their country after they overthrew the Shah and they put in place as Islamic jihadist regime. That regime has been in place for 40 years and in its very constitution calls for the destruction of Western civilization, calls for the spread of Islamic jihad to spread Islam around the world and force it on the world. So they are by definition at war with us. And the answer of the leftists is because they can't see a reason to discern truth. They can't see a reason. They can't recognize good versus evil. They can't call it evil. They just see everything as well as negotiable. And then we go over there and we give them a bunch of money. We factly give them billions of dollars and they promise they're not going to develop nuclear weapons. And then we protect and enable them. And then you have President Trump come along. And this is the patriot side of this equation. President Trump come along and say, you know what? We're not going to help them repress the world we're not going to help them repress their people, and we're not going to help them spread Islamic Jihad around the world. We're going to try to stop them. You had President Trump on another level with ISIS, different from Iran, but for ISIS for a moment, one of the things he said in his campaign, we're going to stop them. These are evil forces in the world. This ISIS caliphate in Iraq and Syria is going to be obliterated, and he did it. So back to Iran, you have President Trump come along saying, number one, we're going to help the people. We're going to help the people who are in the streets, the people in the streets trying to stand up for their own freedom. We're going to help them. And so one thing he did, and he has sent signals of support to the protesters. 
He's also, as a response of this, after he, they, we American, uh, our American forces killed Soleimani and the Iranians fired more rockets at American military forces and brought down their own, you know, by mistake, where they brought down that Ukrainian jetliner because they have no control over the military. So you have the Iranians again firing at American troops. Iranians, by the way, understanding that we use the term proxy, the, the Iranian jihadists who run that country fund Hezbollah, Hezbollah, Hamas. They fund Islamic terror. It's what, when they say that these groups are proxies, Iran gets the money they get from us and other places and uses it to pay terrorists to kill people. This is the kind of regime we have. So President Trump came along, number one, and said, after the uh, Iranians fired in more rockets at American sources, American personnel, he further tightened the screws on sanctions. And these sanctions, you know, sometimes people hear that and say, oh, is that all we're doing, sanctions? But in Iran, the more you can isolate this country, the more you can help them understand you don't get to play on the world's playing field when you behave like a murderous bully around the world. So he's tightened sanctions. And this is among the reasons that you have Iranian protesters in the street. They're not protesting America imposing sanctions. They're protesting having to have a government so evil that the world wants to put sanctions on them. There were sanctions, to be fair, on Iran before President Trump came along. The UN had sanctions. Many countries try to bring sanctions around. And the Iranian deal, in part, was this idea that, well, maybe we could deal with them. We don't have to sanction them so badly because we're going to make this deal with them, which is a completely bogus surrender. It wasn't an Iranian deal. It was a surrender to Iran. But Trump's more recent conduct, I simply must share with you. So President Trump uh, tweeted in the language of Farsi, Farsi being the Persian native language, the language of Iran. So I sent uh, a clip of a picture of the tweet in Farsi to Matt the Wonderful. There it is. Now, um, I don't read Farsi, but I will tell you that he put that tweet out. And as you can see, 361,000 people liked it, 132,000 people talking about it. It was the most liked Persian tweet in the entire history of Twitter. So Trump is, as he does in America, using Twitter to go around the media, to go around the leftists, to go around the America haters, and to go right to the people and say, we understand, Iranian protesters, we're with you. He, after that, tweeted in English, to the brave and suffering Iranian people, I have stood with you since the beginning of my presidency, and my government will continue to stand with you. We are following the protests closely. Your courage is inspiring. He also tweeted to them in English later, the government of Iran must allow human rights groups to monitor and report facts from the ground on the ongoing protest by the Iranian people. There cannot be another massacre of peaceful protesters nor an internet shutdown. The world is watching. So this is President Trump leading like a patriot. Leading like someone who understands there is such a thing in this world as good and evil. A president willing to say, because Soleimani and the Iranian regime are evil, we're going to treat them like they are evil. We are going to fight against them. We're going to use America's power. Now, America, I'm, I'm the first to say, I agree with those people who say that America cannot be the world's policeman. We cannot send troops to every country and make sure every government is just like ours. That is not the case. 
We cannot be the world's policemen. We can't even really do a very good job of nation building unless the people are with us. And we discovered we have challenges in Iraq. It's unclear how that's going to come out. But, you know, we tried the nation building thing there. Unclear if it's going to work out. But the point is, there are a lot of steps along the way between the Obama left-wing mindset that just closes its eyes to evil, closes its ears to evil, can't articulate the idea that an Iranian regime with a constitution committed to jihad simply may not stand, simply must be opposed, simply must be treated as an enemy, that you cannot buy peace, as Crenshaw was trying to say, Dan Crenshaw, you can't buy peace with Iranian people by sending them money, by signing an Iranian deal that blocks the Iranian, uh, the inspectors of in, the uh, inspectors, of the UN and the American inspectors from going to the most logical places where the Iranians will be developing nuclear weapons. You can't treat these people as though they are trustworthy and honest, and you can't treat them as though they have, there's a moral equivalency and they have just as much right to function as a jihadist regime as the rest or most of the rest of the free world has to be free countries. The idea of Iran is the, the idea of a country committed in its founding to jihad is inherently an enemy of America. So they have to be treated that way. I am not advocating military action in Iran. I, not the right answer, I don't think, ever to send troops in. But the leadership that President Trump has shown signals his understanding that a country like Iran will never do the right thing just because you sit down and sign a deal and give them billions of dollars. They're not going to become stable. They're not going to become sane. They're not going to become acceptable. They are in the, the regime. The regime itself is an evil regime committed to an evil idea of jihad. So President Trump dealt with them and is dealing with them now as more of a patriot, more the way you would, the way Reagan stood up to the then communist uh, expansionism and said, you know, Gorbachev, tear down this wall. You have to stand up against evil. And back, tying back my first point today, the problem leftists have, many leftists have, and people in power who are leftists have, is they've lost the ability to either understand that good and evil exist, or if they do understand it, they don't think it's not consistent with their intellectual intellectualism, elite ruling class secularism to ever say that some ideas are evil and bad and we're going to fight them. They can't do it. They can't identify the evil of Iran, so they can't fight it. So they went along with this just completely worse than just hapless and useless, but actually dangerous Iranian deal because the Iranians got sanctions lifted so they made life better for their people as they were continuing to develop nuclear weapons. And you finally had a President Trump saying, you know what, actually not happening. We're going to change the way we treat evil people. We're going to treat them as though they are evil. I have one more story for today, and it actually kind of relates to this story we were just talking about. But, you know, there was a lot of news in Washington um, about the um, refugee situation. And to be very clear, uh, in the 1980 Refugee uh, Resettlement Act, which was passed in 1980 with the idea that America would facilitate bringing refugees here, mostly then these were refugees fleeing the expansion of communism. It was refugees, many from Vietnam, 
and that era, that part of the world. But they, the point at the time was to to make it easier, have a system in place to bring refugees to America in this 1980 Refugee Resettlement Act. Part of that act said that states, counties, you know, towns, lo local jurisdictions could make a decision if they wanted to bring refugees into their states. That's been ignored for decades. And in America right now, and during the Obama era, we had a, a vast expansion of bringing refugees to America. So President Trump issued an executive order. And in that executive order, he said he was offering the states and other jurisdictions, counties, cities, towns, to say, you can opt in or opt out. I mean, meaning that people, states especially, where, is where it's relevant, actually were offered the idea that you have to opt in to continue to receive refugees. You have to opt in. And part of the reason that he did this, now I didn't read, I mean, this was an executive order President Trump did. President Trump signed this executive order sometime last year, toward the end of 2019, and there was a date, a deadline in January, this right now, January 2020, of states can tell the federal government if they're going to opt in or not to receiving refugees. Three issues. Of, so what's happened? Let me finish with that. So so Texas Governor Abbott, and you know, I'm uh, the show is based in Texas. We live in Texas. You know, this was a great move of leadership by Governor Abbott. Governor Abbott notified Washington that the state of Texas will no longer receive refugees. And others, other Republican states, other uh, Republican-led states have those governors. And of course, of course, the Democrat governors are saying, sure, yeah, we'll take them off. But Republican governors, I think there are many people who thought that some of the Republican governors would say, you know, actually, yeah, we'll, we'll take a halt to, we'll take a halt to refugees in our state. So, um, and they're actually, the number is, um, I said about 17, I think, 17 Republican governors have agreed to take refugees. So, so you have even Republican governors going along with it. Governor Abbott said, no, I want to talk to you about why he said no, what's happened in the other states, and then really get at why this is such a, an enormously consequential issue. It's actually a very political issue. And the reason I want to do this in part is I know that especially uh, women and even some relatively conservative Republican women have a soft spot in their heart when they hear the word refugee. They have, well, I mean, you're picturing the, you know, the poor woman who has, you know, four children and the husband has run off or the husband has been killed and the government's chasing them and they're impoverished and they are, and they are, um, you know, fleeing persecution. And the idea, by the way, of refugees was you're supposed to be, you qualify for the refugee program by being designated as someone who is fleeing persecution. It never was the idea of refugees that you come here just because of poverty. America cannot import or offer refugee status to every impoverished person on this planet Earth. There isn't room, there isn't money, we can't do it. So the refugee idea was never to say because you're impoverished, you can come here. But the sympathy on the refugee question is completely understandable. And I, but I want to get at why we have to see this refugee issue as more of a political issue and less of an issue of 
showing human kindness because it's political. Starting with the great state of Texas, we have been, as, as we've talked about last year, uh, and you, everyone's been watching on the news, we've had caravans of people walking up from Central America, walking through Mexico, caravan after caravan after caravan after caravan of people presenting themselves at the southern border of the U.S., a lot in Texas and in California, presenting themselves at the border and saying, I'm here seeking asylum. You know, I, I want to be a refugee. I, I, I need your help. I'm impoverished or whatever their story was. So we had a flood of people coming over the southern border. We had, under the Obama era, very lax enforcement. In fact, it's, and this is what I want to get to why I say it's political. Under the Obama administration, there is clear evidence that the Obama administration, in a variety of ways, encouraged this exodus from Central America, encouraged citizens of Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador, encouraged them to come to America and to and encourage them to believe that when you get to America, because you're coming here as a refugee, when you get to America, you know, you will receive refugee status. The caravans did not come to the southern border of America organically, naturally. This was not people suddenly discovering they're impoverished and suddenly deciding, let's join caravans and go. The Obama administration encouraged it. And on top of that, numerous international organizations, numerous international organizations committed to socialism, committed to globalism, committed to the destruction of America and the destruction of our southern border, funded, orchestrated, assisted, supplied these caravans to bring them up to America. This did not happen organically and naturally. It came as a result of numerous international organizations, including components of the United Nations, encouraging people to come here and telling them from those three Central American countries from Mexico, come on up and America will let you in. The intent, the flooding of the Southern border was intentional. The overwhelming of our system at the Southern border was intentional. This is one of the reasons that Governor Abbott uh, of Texas gave when he talked about the idea, Texas has already taken in more refugees than the other states. I'm gonna get to the Refugee Resettlement Act in a moment, which is a different animal, but this idea of the caravans and this is why I say as political people, you have to understand it is not those organizations were not trying to help impoverished people. They were trying to overwhelm the American southern border, argue for the evisceration, the destruction of borders, argue for globalization. This was an intentionally orchestrated movement. If you fail to stand up to it, you're agreeing with them. You're saying, sure, fine, we don't need a border. We don't need to worry about uh, citizenship. We don't need to worry about the identity of America. Everybody come on in. This is intentional. And this is one reason that people who want to preserve the idea of America need to be alert to what the refugee whole situation is at the southern border. The second piece of this is the Refugee Resettlement Act. These this form of the refugee movement of people not pouring over the southern border, but coming to America on the Refugee Resettlement Act has been taken over again by leftists, by leftists who 
are part of this refugee resettlement effort. Their organization is called VOLAGs. It's just a shortened term for voluntary agencies. These are voluntary agencies that are uh, many church-related. Uh, they are you know, Lutherans, the Catholics, the Episcopalians, a bunch of them. But these organizations banded together, and they became officially recognized as organizations that could host refugees coming to America. So we had refugees coming to America. We had the United Nations in charge of figuring out at all these refugee camps all over the world, which group should go to which country. We Americans, not permanently, but for a long time, surrendered our judgment as to who should come here, which one should come here. And this is why we've had story after story after story in this country of people entering America through the Refugee Resettlement Program who turned out to be Islamic terrorists, who turned out to be nefarious in their intent and their mission to get to America. They wanted to come to America, establish little Islamic enclaves or all over Minnesota and Michigan. They're in many more states too. We hear about them in Minnesota and Michigan, but they're all over many, many states, little Islamic enclaves that are establishing themselves as they will not, they want to assimilate. They do not want to assimilate. They want to bring Islam and Sharia, Islamic law, to America. That is their point. So these agencies allegedly just, you know, parting, wanting to help the poor downtrodden of the world are facilitating this invasion via refugee program. Invasion being via the refugee program in America. And so many people are saying, you know, let's put a halt an entire halt on the idea of bringing more refugees to America. Now, be clear, we Americans can still help people who are actually innocent refugees who've been harmed, damaged, injured, you know, just uh, forced out of their homes. We can help them in refugee camps around the world. We can help them return to their native countries and protect those countries, protect their lives there. We don't, it's not as though the only choice is bring them all here or abandon them. Many choices in the middle can include helping some of them, but we don't have to be suckers. We don't have to be duped by this, this either the uh, globalist socialist movement forcing people over a southern border or by Islamic resettlement, Islam, so much resettlement of Islamic refugees in America that we have, and you read the stories all the time, we've covered them on this show, people we bring to our country to help, to help them, to provide them a new home, and their answer is, to begin to engage in some form of Islamic jihad in whether they go back over to the countries to fight with some country to fight with ISIS, whether they engage in jihadist activity here, whether they invade their local Islamic center, their mosque, and are teaching the whole concept of jihad. We don't have to keep bringing people to this country who mean us harm. I don't know if Governor Abbott understood all of that but it's a great move. And ultimately will be a really great move is for in our country to say, we're putting a halt. Now be clear, President Trump has cut way, 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 way back on the Obama era refugee program, way, way back. In fact, under um, this coming year, the White House has slashed the number of refugees allowed into our country to a record low of 18,000 for 2020, down from 102,000 annually during the program's peak in the 1980s. Again, the 80s was more about communism. But I want to close out the show uh, today by saying this. This show is dedicated to protecting America, preserving and protecting America. Yes, we have 
military threats we have to watch, that we do not have enemies of any kind, you know, planning to invade or planning to plant bombs or planning to attack us in some other way. We protect ourselves from cyber attacks. We protect ourselves from the Chinese, you know, that we had an expert in the show last week talking about the Chinese endless effort uh, at, at invading our cybersecurity, invade in, in some other way, engaging in electro economic warfare against America. We patriots have to defend America on all fronts in all ways. One way that must happen is a recognition that when you bring thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people into the country every year, we already bring over a million immigrants legally, new immigrants to America every year, one million, that we are contributing to the overall makeup of our country. We need to be committed to reestablishing, to re-understanding, to re-embracing the idea of America, the idea as in our founding documents that, that we are a country committed to the idea that we have rights from our creator because we were born, we have the right to live in freedom, therefore we're not socialist. We have the right to live in a country where we have our individual liberty respected, our rights as spelled out in the Bill of Rights protected. That's the country America is. When you bring millions and millions and millions of people in this country who don't, number one, don't believe that, don't understand it, and don't want to learn about it, you're changing the culture and fabric of our country. We've already got a problem in America with the young people, some young people, who have finished our school system, finished our high schools and colleges, and emerged from college thinking of America as a place that is, has an imperialistic history, that is a country that is, is racist and xenophobic and homophobic and hateful and, and, and imperialistic, those young people haven't a clue what America is. We need a, an era in this country, a recommitment that we're going to relearn, reestablish, reinvigorate love of America, understanding of America's founding ideas, and understanding of why socialism cannot live in this country cannot be part of a country rooted in freedom. We have to commit to that. And it'd be much easier for us to commit to that, to re-inspiring love of America, changing our educational system, getting rid of the uh, teaching and the textbooks that teach children to hate this country, teach children to hate our founding fathers, to hate the ideas of our founding. We need to reinvigorate all of that. And it will be a lot easier if we're not bringing millions and millions of refugees in every year who don't, do not come here because of love of America. Now, some of them may. Some of them may come here because they know that America is a land of promise, a land of immigrants. But most of them don't have any idea. And when you fold in the determination of the leftists in this world, the socialists, the globalists, to, to just overwhelm our southern border, to force us to accept millions of people have no idea what America is, and on top of that, you have the Islamic Jihad mindset alive and well in many places in the world. And in fact, the Islamic doctrine of using immigration for the purpose of Islamic conquest, that is an Islamic doctrine called Hijra, using immigration for the purpose of Islamic conquest is a well-known, well-recognized, well-documented, written about over the millennia concept we Americans are allowed to be alert enough and awake enough to say, we're going to hold off on refugees. We're going to help people who need it in this world, but we're going to hold off on refugees 
because we need to reestablish the extraordinary, exceptional idea that is America in this country. And now, my friends, I'm going to turn and tell you why the ideas and the stories we talked about today, I'll tell you again why the stories and ideas we talked about today matter to you. So to start with, we started our show today. We were talking about the idea of leftists siding with America's enemies. America's founding ideal of individual freedom is grounded in belief in a creator, in unalienable rights from that creator. America is inherently God-centered, not godless. America's defense of herself has always been anchored in a biblical grasp of good and evil, the need to embrace good and fight evil. In contrast, leftism is inherently and proudly godless. Godlessness denies the difference between good and evil. Therefore, leftists can't discern between good and evil. The result is leftists almost always side with America's enemies. They do not know what aligns with good and freedom versus evil and oppression. Leftists do not understand the evil of Iran's tyrannical mullahs. And a leftism, an excellent leftism, and patriots in Iran, Iranians are protesting their own regime. They're not protesting America. Iranian protesters are refusing to stomp on the American flag. That was a great story. Trump tweets in Farsi are the most liked in the history of Iranian Twitter. Yet Pelosi and other Democrats cannot bring themselves to admit that Trump acted rightly in the interest of America. The Iranian people despise their regime but lack power to remove it. Trump's action to eliminate Soleimani was a good thing for the people of Iran, for America, and for the world. And our next story, we had the uh, saying no to more refugees. Americans must be alert. Texas governor got it right. Tennessee government, I need to talk about Tennessee governor. He messed up, got it wrong. Refugee policy debates are not about compassion. They must not be allowed to be virtue signaling contests. They must not be Volog feeding at the government trough exercises. The left has a strident anti-American agenda behind its refugee resettlement causes. To overwhelm the U.S. social safety net system, dilute and ultimately abandon the idea of citizenship and build a government-dependent class. America needs a pause in refugee acceptance. Assimilation must be given time for cultural clarity and stability. Refugees must be screened relative to their desire to embrace America's ideals and assimilate. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you for listening. Tune in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you-